Welcome to the Equipping Webinar, where we connect discipleship, theology, and apologetics to everyday life. Welcome to Watermark's Equipping Webinar, where we connect discipleship, theology, and apologetics to everyday life. My name is Nathan. I'm the Director of Equipping and Apologetics at Watermark Community Church. But we are not at Watermark Community Church. <laughs> Even a longer are, name here, I which know, is right? great. <laughs> we are, uh, we're in Plano, Texas at a cross-examined apologetics training event that they're doing up here. And we are happy and privileged and grateful that our friend Greg Kokel could be with us today. Yeah. So, Greg, Well, Nathan, I am so thrilled to hang out with you a little bit. I know, right? Really, really. It's great to see you. Yeah, seriously. I think, I don't, last time I saw you at ETS, the time before, you were at my house I know, in that's California. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, we don't we get this may chance. or may not have been smoking cigars on the back porch. <laughs> it was important how you were going to be following that smoking. I know, right? Yeah. Smoking but we're not doing that here. We're, no, just, we're, we're focused yeah, we're, now. <laughs> we're just that's it. Yeah, right. But uh, and then Sylvia Bateman is is here with us, like she always is. Yes. So Sylvia, thanks for being here. Yes. Greg's written a couple of different books that I'd love to point you to, and. One of them is called Tactics. If you've listened to these before, you've heard us talk about tactics before, especially the Columbo questions that he unpacks in that book and how useful they are just for really anybody who's who's looking to be someone who can effectively uh, engage with skeptics, atheists, agnostics who are challenging the claims of Christianity. So I would, I would point that to you. But then also his brand new book, which came out this year. Right. January. Um, yeah. In January called The Story of Reality. And we're going to be talking through a lot of those points in, in that book today. But I would encourage you to pick it up. It's very succinct. It's easy to read. And it goes through, as you'll see on the webinar today, these major plot lines for us to understand not just a story, but the story. The story, the, the, right. The, yeah, the, the the way that things actually are. So, I capitalized the word story throughout because I'm trying to make the point that this is the story yeah, of real. It's not just any story. It's not just our account. It's what we consider to be the way the world actually mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. yeah, okay. that's, yeah, that's good. So, Greg, talk to us just a little bit about, because there's inevitably there's people on here who have maybe heard your name for the first time, mm -hmm. you know, two minutes ago. So, Talk to us about who you are, how you got into doing Christian apologetics, what Stand a Reason is, sure. how that came about. Just give us a little Sure. Bit. I became a Christian in 1973, which sounds like a long time ago, but I, and it was, but I was, <laughs> I was 23 years old at the time. Don't do the math here, you know, but that's depressing. But um, so I became a Christian as a young adult while I was at UCLA, and I had a whole lot of secular worldly ideas. And uh, I became convinced that Christianity was true. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean this word true in the normal, ordinary sense of the word. I don't mean true for me. Mm -hmm. I was just joining a, a fantasy club that made me feel good, uh, regardless of how it made me feel. That was not even on the radar for me. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, this is this will be fun. It hasn't been fun, you know, mm -hmm. but it's been real. It's reality. And because it's true, that's why I became a Christian. And um, very soon on, and I, I did not become a Christian kind of ironically, because I heard all these good arguments in favor of Christianity, yep. which is what I spend a lot of time doing now. But yeah, that right. wasn't what happened in my personal life. Mm -hmm. A lot of guys here at this conference that are doing training and teaching, like Jay Warner Wallace, he was an atheist, uh, heard the arguments, Examined became a Christian. Yeah, right. Right, right. That wasn't me. Um, it was God just drew me in, you know, and I couldn't have told you why other than just for my personal reasons when I first became a Christian. But I began to discover there are lots of solid reasons that undergird Christianity. So it's one thing to know 
it's another thing to show. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I couldn't just say, well, I know for myself and that's going to persuade somebody else. I had to show. And that, that's what got me into apologetics because I did a lot of sharing Christ on the streets of Westwood Village back in the uh, yeah. in the 70s, yeah. the Jesus movement. And so got a lot of pushback uh, and just like folks get today. And so I realized I need to have answers to a whole host of issues and things have gotten a lot more complex since then. Mm -hmm. There's a lot more issues. But I have discovered, Nathan, that there is not a single challenge that somebody can imagine raising mm -hmm. against Christianity that has not been thoughtfully and carefully yeah. and effectively answered yeah. by an intelligent Christian person. Yeah. And sometimes that answer was given a thousand years ago, you know, because <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. we have a very, very deep bench. Totally. All right. Yeah. And um, and so we've got a great thing to talk about. And so in the last, um, well, this is our 25th year with Stand to Reason, an organization that I started with some others that really is given to training Christians to think more carefully about their own convictions and then be able to, as good ambassadors, to persuasively, accurately, and graciously communicate their convictions to people who don't agree with them mm -hmm. and, uh, and to make their case. And so we've been doing that for about 25 years. So we've got a website, STR, Stand to Reason, str.org, that has thousands of pages of information. Hundred, oh, actually, I think we have more than a thousand videos now, too. Mm -hmm. So we've got these smaller vignettes that are very accessible that deal with all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And whatever we can't handle, we, we've got links to others, yeah, other right. pages, yes, you yes. know. Um, because we want to be a go-to place for people who are struggling. And, and in the last 25 years, I think we've kind of become much more visible and there's a lot of penetration mm -hmm. than doing radio, interactive talk radio for mm -hmm. 28 years now, even yeah. before we started Stand a Reason. Yeah. And this has now become also a podcast, obvious, because that's the medium of the, of the day. Yeah. But I still do live broadcasting yeah. and uh, people can call in and ask their questions. And by listening to the podcast, they can see not only the information, but they can get a feel for how we approach engagement. Mm -hmm. And that to me, this is the, the issue of tactics. That mm -hmm. to me is one of the most important things. And very few people, Nathan, are actually working on that particular issue. Yeah, yeah. How do you go about right, right. engaging people, yeah. not just what do you say to them yeah. in terms of information? Yeah, but that is the apologetics of the next generation. Yeah. It's not just do you have a substantive answer to this right. question, but how are we interacting? Right. How Especially we in a culture that's so deeply divided. Yes. And so many presuppositions are there. Yes. It's almost like you have to wade through all of that yeah. from a tactical standpoint yeah. before you can even yeah. have a substantive conversation with it, someone. Yeah. It doesn't mean you need to be an expert in everything. We yep. want, we, the best way to do this is even as a kind of a newbie is just to get into play mm -hmm. because frankly, you don't know what you know right. or what you don't know, yeah. what you need to learn unless right. you're right. engaging. And then once you start running into obstacles that you can't deal with, then you that's where you start your process of growth and learning. Yeah. A lot of times that is in the interaction process. Man, I got floored by this challenge and I didn't know what to say. Mm -hmm. Well, this is where that tactical game plan in the book tactics can be so helpful. Because in a lot of apologetics, there's, uh, there's the information's there, but there's a missing bridge from the content to the conversation. Right, right. How do you get from one to the other? Yep. And if you have a game plan... Yep. which is what I provide, a very simple, straightforward game plan. And you already kind of tip people off. It, yep. it, it <laughs> trades on the notion of questions, which is why I call yeah. it the Columbo yeah. tactic from Peter Falk and the yeah. TV character yeah, yeah. who asks questions, you know, in a kind of low-key, unassuming, yeah, non-threatening yeah. way. Yeah. And we have found this to be absolutely golden mm -hmm. 
as a way to maneuver through conversations. And I spelled that all out in the tactics. So the team that I lead at Watermark, the apologetics team, we've, we've also found it to be very effective. I think one of the reasons why is because it, in a questions format, you're invite. I mean, look, everybody's favorite topic is themselves. themselves right? So as soon as it's you really start to insight. ask open-ended questions, you're inviting more of the person that you're talking with. Hey, I want to know more. What what else do you think about this? And then and you're almost like in a ninja kind of way, guiding the conversation yeah. into a deeper substantive sure. way I, I to where it. they become surprised. They're like, oh, wait a second. I'm in a really substantive conversation right now. Right. I, I didn't even think I was going here. Well, what happens, and, and the, the Christian doesn't even have to know a lot of stuff yep. at this point, yep. especially with the first stages of the, the game plan. Yep. Um, what I promise in the book is that I will give them a game plan that will allow them to converse with confidence, no matter how little they know yeah. or how knowledgeable or aggressive or even obnoxious yeah. the other person may be. Yeah, right, right. And that's what these questions serve mm-hmm. to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned, uh, you know, let, the, drawing the other person out. There's a flip side to that that's really important. If you're drawing the other person out, not only are you being polite to that person, mm-hmm. and not only are you getting valuable information that they're yeah, giving that you can yeah. use, but you're not talking, yeah. which means there's no pressure on you. Yeah. You're not defending your own views. Yeah. You're listening to them. There's a powerful impact of that. I mean, even on the Christian, a lot of people don't want to engage because they don't want to get in the hot seat. Mm-hmm. But this is a way of continually, graciously throwing the ball in the other court. And we get a chance to, to, to say our piece, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. but we can do it at our timing in our way because we're in control of the conversation. We're in the driver's seat yep. of the conversation yep. by asking the question. Yeah. So a lot a, of safety in this. Yeah. And, and that's a learned thing you do through practice, that's which right. is why I think I love what you said. Get in the game. You know, Don't be afraid of those conversations. Engage. Engage. So let's start talking about the story of reality. And I think to even start there, before we even get into the story, I think, uh, and the way you start your book, is to ask this question, how is truth typically perceived in our culture? I mean, we have conversations are going on all over the place, especially in the age of social media, where there used to be kind of a, an elite few, highly educated people who were controlling the conversation, Mm -hmm. or at least that was, or they were the only voices in the conversation. And now we have billions of voices Mm -hmm. in the conversation. Mm -hmm. And so as a Christian who's sitting there going, okay, cool, you've convinced me I should get into the game. All right. But now what, what in the world, how do I, where do I even start with this? And, and because I think probably we, we get this a lot at Watermark and, and the great questions ministry is, Hey, okay, yeah, I know that I get it that you believe that, but that's just not what I believe. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like this weird, what's right for you is right for you, and what's right for me is right for me. And let's right. just not. So people feel that tension of, okay, I want to be a faithful witness for Christ, but I don't want to be a jerk or feel like I'm, especially the buzzwords going on yeah. in culture today, a bigot, right? Right. Someone who is, is judgmental over mm-hmm. people. So talk to us a little bit about from your perspective, how do you well, think truth is looking yeah, at? Yeah, there's, there's a number of things going on here, Nathan. And uh, just up front, you may not ever be able to, in every case, avoid the charge of being a bigot mm-hmm. or narrow-minded mm-hmm. or arrogant or intolerant. I mean, that just kind of goes with the territory. And Jesus already warned us in advance. He started early in his ministry, Matthew chapter 5. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. people are going to persecute you for my name's sake, but rejoice. So we just have to just uh, uh, make our peace with that. Yeah, yeah. This is the lot of the Christian, okay? Yeah. Now, if, if you were going to go and try to communicate your convictions, uh, let's say in France or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Well, 
maybe France isn't a good example because a lot of people speak English, but some country, you know, mm. didn't Timbuktu, whatever. And then you'd have to learn Saudi to speak Arabia, Timbuktuian, <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. In order to communicate. Well, there's a yeah. certain sense in which that's true, even in our culture, because mm -hmm. words have changed their meanings over time. Right. Okay. So when a person says, you know, that's what you believe, they probably wouldn't say that's what you believe, but that's not what I believe. What they would say is, I mean, think about it. They would say, well, that's your truth. But that's not my truth. Mm -hmm. Different people have mm -hmm. different truths. Yep. Now, this is a distortion of the word truth. Right. Okay. So um, what we have is kind of a split personality in our culture right now. That is with regards to truth. People talk about it in two completely different ways. All right. So if somebody said, is, is the house on? Somebody says the house on fire. I said, are you? Is that true? Mm -hmm. They say, yeah, look, it's burning. Mm -hmm. OK. And what they mean by the word truth there is that their statement fits the way the world is. It's accurate to reality. There's yeah. the burning house. There's actually right there. fire. Coming it's actually out fire coming yeah. out, yeah. you yeah. know, and no one would say with regard to that. Well, maybe that's your truth, but that's not my yeah. truth. Yeah. You know, that, it right. wouldn't even apply Call the fire that. department. Yeah, exactly. Well, you <laughs> might want to know whether it's actually true or not. Yeah, yeah, and totally. you can check it out. Yeah, it is burning. Yeah, yeah. Boom. You know, Verify it. and uh, I mean, when I was four, we lived in a farm in northern Wisconsin and that burned to the ground in the middle of the night on Good Friday, 1955. Yeah. And uh, my mom said the house on fire. And my dad said, really? And he got up to look, you know, so it's a, there you go. Yeah. Perfect example. Yeah, yeah, totally. But when it comes to now watch this religious claims or moral claims, mm -hmm. then the game changes radically. Yeah. OK, people don't say this kind of thing. Uh, oh, gravity. Oh, that's your truth. Yeah. That's not my truth. Yeah, yeah. Because the fact is, if you didn't believe in gravity, you wouldn't just float away. Mm -hmm. You know, gravity still applies to you, yeah, right? Right, right? Regardless, okay? But when it comes to ethics or it comes to religious claims, then people are of the point of view that now you're talking about beliefs. Mm -hmm. And I'm just putting like square, scare, scare quotes uh, around it, yeah, scare right. quotes around it, because yeah. people want to diminish that in a certain way to be just your mere opinion. Mm -hmm. You can't know anything about this. This is a wild guess. Yep. And so it's kind of like flavors of ice cream. Mm -hmm. And so when they say that's your truth, they mean it's your belief, mm -hmm. but they are hijacking this word mm -hmm. and they're distorting it. And this makes conversation difficult. Really difficult. Yeah. Because, because when you think about it, the real question isn't whether it's my truth or not. The question is whether my belief, which they call my truth, is true right. in the first sense or not. Right. And then if it turns out it's not true, it's no kind of truth at all. Mm -hmm. it's, mm -hmm. It might be my delusion or my confusion, but it's not my truth. Yeah. So this is the kind of hump that you have to get over with people. And it's not always easy to do that. So maybe sometimes avoiding the truth words and dealing with the truth concept is an end around. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so when I talk about in the book, the story of reality, now I'm talking about reality. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about the truth. I could say that. And it used to mean one thing. Now people want to apply to religion means something else with it. So yeah, it's a savvy it's just it's ice cream. A, it's a savvy way of getting to the substance of the conversation right. without the baggage right. of some of the buzzwords that people the go find your truth or, and, and what's crazy about this in our culture as well is we're not just up against the person who um, is redefining these words in these ways. There's a lot of pressure from positions of power yes. from from the arts, right? Media, these kinds of things that reinforce these ideas you in can be subtle punished. ways. You can be punished totally. for not believing. Yeah, in the yeah. Life. In the academic and in the academy, I mean, people lose their job. You know, you know, I, I have a quick little end around that might help some of the listeners, and that is when people say, "Well, that's your truth." Okay, now now we know. 
the shell game that's going on. The right. person who says it, they don't realize that. Right. They're just socialized to say that. We right. know the shell game. So now how do we expose it? Um, the first Columbo question yep. is, what do you mean by that? Yep. And so I'm going to ask that question. They say, well, that's your truth. I say, well, what do you mean? It's my truth. Mm-hmm. Well, now I suspect when they try to explain what they mean, mm-hmm. they're going to now opt for a more appropriate right. way of putting it. That's right. your belief. Right. Oh, well, yes, it is my belief. But see, now I've got a question. What I'm saying, Mike, right. is my belief true in the first true. sense? True. Yeah. yeah. And at this point, you don't have to say in the first sense because mm-hmm. now because of the way you're stated, they mm-hmm. know that's what you mean. Yeah, is my yeah, belief right. actually true? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, it's your truth. Oh, I know that. I know that it's my belief. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. But is it actually right, accurate? Right. That's the question we need to look at, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So that I'm, I'm role-playing now. Yeah, if yeah, I say that, isn't that the most important question? And then somebody might say, well, how could you ever know that mm-hmm. when it comes to religion or ethical yeah. claims? But see, now I've shifted through using the questions. I have shifted the discussion in a much more productive yep. way. Oh, how could you ever know? Well, let's let's talk about that, yeah. about yeah. how we know things. And may some things we know yeah. that really aren't physical, scientific mm-hmm. things, but a whole bunch of other things. Mm-hmm. that are. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a kind of a way, at least getting over that particular speed bump. Yeah, so much of effective engagement in these areas is learning what the preconceptions are that people are bringing to the right. table, the way that they are defining terms, putting your, putting yourself in their shoes to be able to see, I think what you mean by that is this. Mm-hmm. And also the way around that to get us talking about this is for me to ask you this question. Yeah. And it requires listening, but it also, like you said, requires the ability to discern this is what's actually going on. And I need to help you come over here is where we can actually have you know, a legitimate yes, conversation. Yes, that's true. And But it doesn't take that much discernment in this sense, at mm-hmm. least the first step, mm-hmm. because virtually anything that anyone presses you on mm-hmm. as a Christian, it's appropriate to ask the question, what do you mean by that? But no doubt. What do you no mean by that? And it's not, a, it's not a pernicious kind of a nasty yeah. – it's just I, I'm curious. I, I just need more information. Yep. So what about the problem of evil? Yep. What about it? Well, it's a problem, isn't it? Well, what would be the problem? So notice I keep pitching it back. I'm not trying to be difficult. I just, I want the other person to be as clear as they possibly can lay the whole thing out because part of my conviction is, and I've seen this happen over and over again, Nathan, if I can get the other person to lay out their view with a little bit more substance, okay, Mm -hmm. instead of trading on ambiguity, they're going to get themselves into trouble Yeah, they totally because they haven't thought about it. And again, it's not pernicious. I'm not trying to do evil to them. I'm mm-hmm. just trying to let's see exactly what the issue is and what you think is the problem. Yeah. And then it'll be easier for me to do. Yeah, I've, I've definitely been in conversations where I've employed the Columbo questions. And typically, in my experience, the first question is fairly disarming because mm-hmm. a lot of people who are making the claim that mm-hmm. they've been conditioned to yeah. through, hey, just say this to right. a Christian. They haven't thought about it. And so just a simple question of what do you mean by that is totally disarming because they don't know what they mean. But then using the other ones, hey, how'd you you come to that conclusion? Now you're bringing in actual evidence. Um, You're you're getting away from the ambiguity, as you I think you used that a second ago, into more concrete things. And keep in mind that question is a model question. So it can be phrased in a lot of different ways. You know, I'm confused about what you just said. Can you explain it a little bit more? Or when you say that Christianity is sexist. Um, what is it you mean when by the word sexist? Yeah. Okay. And then, okay, now I understand what you mean by sexist. Why would you think that Christianity qualifies as mm-hmm. that term? So, mm-hmm. again, more and more drawing yeah. person. Yeah, 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 yeah. And when you do this, there's no pressure on you at all. The yeah. other person's doing most They're of the They're talking. Time. Yeah. 
some of our listeners too just want to make sure they have clarity around the three questions of the Colombo tactic, but you have said you can rephrase them in other ways. So can you go through those, just the three questions Sure, again? I can. Uh, the first two questions are somewhat fixed. Mm-hmm. They really match the three uses of Colombo. And so the first use of Colombo, the questions, which means the first step of the game plan. And what I mean by that is when you encounter somebody that you're beginning a discussion with that you want to have spiritual impact on, Here's all you worry about. Don't worry about the gospel at this point. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about winning them to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Don't you're, you're way ahead of yourself. Start yeah. right here. That's what good. are you going to do? You're going to gather information. I just want to get the lay of the land with this person's thinking. And so that that's where the question, what do you mean by that? Or some variation mm-hmm. comes in. Okay. Once you get a fix on the other person's convictions, okay, where they've told you what their conviction happens to be about something, mm-hmm. Uh, well, the Bible's been changed, or there is no God, right. or Jesus never lived, or it's just a, he's just a copycat of some ancient thing. You know, yeah, making assertions. First, you get a clarification. The next one is you want to find out the reasons that they think that that is the truth, mm-hmm. that Good. thing they just challenge you with. So the tendency, I think, for Christians, if they've had a little training, is to jump in and to take the burden of proof on themselves yeah. yep. to refute somebody else's point of view. Yep. But I think it's better strategically. Tactically, if you allow the other person to defend their view first, yep. and so that that uh, yeah, they're, they're the ones that are making the assertion. Exactly so, right. Hey, you said it. You defend it. Yes. Yep. The rule is the basic rule is the person who makes the claim bears the, the burden, burden of the truth. Yeah. And so, if they say, "Well, the Bible's been changed," how do you? Okay, okay. I want to get clarification on that. Okay. Now, my second question. Now, before I try to refute the view, how did you come to that conclusion? Mm-hmm. Oh, what are your reasons for thinking that's yeah. the way it actually yeah, happened? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, do you have any evidence for that? I'm curious. Help me out here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So those are your first two uses and your first two questions. You gather information with the question, what do you mean by that? You reverse the burden of proof when they're making the claim mm-hmm. by saying, how did you come to that conclusion or some variation? Now, the third use of Colombo, the third use of Colombo is to use questions to make a point. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? Well, sometimes you want to make a point that's your particular point of view, but you need some, you, you want to lay some things down, like put things in order. You, got, you have a couple of pieces to put in place, okay? Um, you could lay them out, make your point, and then every time you want to lay something on the table, the other person is going to deny it. Yeah, right. They're going to gainsay it. Oh, no, that ain't so. That ain't so. Mm-hmm. Well, that ain't so, you know. So why Jesus is the only way? Well, because uh, everybody who does something wrong ought to be punished and everybody's done something wrong. Mm-hmm. And so we have to have somebody to cover for us. And, that, and you, you explain the gospel. Oh, you say everybody who's done something wrong ought to be. Well, wait a minute. Or everybody's a sinner. Wait a minute. You know, that's judgment. And so you get all mm-hmm. this. So here's what I found. The best thing to do is instead of us putting the things on the right, table, right. let them put the things on the that's table. Good. And how do we get them to do that? We ask them a question. Mm-hmm. So on this particular issue, I asked one person who raised, why is Jesus the only way? I said, let me ask you a question. Do you think that people who do bad things ought to be punished? And he said, well, since I'm a prosecuting attorney, yeah. <laughs> yes. Now, I got lucky on the attorney part, but most people have the sense. Yeah. No, nobody wants bad people to get away with murder or even lesser crimes, right? Yeah, right. So he said, yeah, I think so. And, and I said, well, I agree with you. So now we're both on the same page, but I got a piece on the table now that he put there. Mm-hmm. He's not going to take that off the table. Mm-hmm. He put it there. Okay. I said, I got another question. Have you ever done any bad things? He said, well, yeah, I guess I have. Yeah. What did I say? So have I. So we're both in agreement. Now, do I need to tell this guy he's a sinner? 
No, no he, he's already he just told, told himself me. that. Yeah. Do I get to tell him he's under judgment? No, he told me. No, he wasn't thinking about that when he walked into the conversation. Mm-hmm. But uh, I just asked the question that caused some natural things that pretty much everybody knows to come to the surface. They put them on the table. And now I've got a couple of pieces that now I can go forward and make my case about Jesus being the only way using part pieces that we both agree on. Okay. So that's one way of using questions to make my point. Sometimes you're going to notice a flaw or a mistake. The rest of the tactics book has maneuvers. They have these names, Mm -hmm. taking the roof off, road scholar, whatever. And these are all to help you to find a mistake. Mm -hmm. And once you find the mistake, you use a question to reveal that. And so when the guy says Christians are all real judgmental, because we're talking about sin and stuff like that. We didn't like that. But I asked a question. I said, what's wrong with that? And he says, it's wrong to judge. Okay, now, good. Now we got his view on the table. Yeah, okay. Here. Now, what was that that he just did? What he just did was a what? Yeah. It was a judgment. Yeah, it was a judgment point, yeah. Yeah. And so, and I understand that there's right judgments and wrong judgments, but but, uh, in this particular case, so he just laying it out for me. Mm -hmm. And so since I asked him, now it's there. And so now what I could say is you're judging me. Mm -hmm. You're telling me that I shouldn't judge, but in telling me I shouldn't judge, you're judging me, which would have been perfectly accurate, but there's no elegance to it. Right. Right. There's no, there's no tactical advantage to it. Okay. And so instead I said, well, if it's wrong to judge, why are you judging me now? So yeah. notice when I do that, I'm not just simply accusing. I'm asking a question yeah. about something that he was actually doing yeah, yeah. and asking for an accounting in light of what he's just said. Mm-hmm. Now he's kind of stuck because he's got to answer the question. But if he do, he's caught. Yeah. OK, now I'm not again, I'm not trying to be abusive yeah, at all, but yeah. he's caught on the logic of his own mm-hmm. words. Mm-hmm. And I want him to think about that. Yeah, so good. in this particular case, he said, uh, gee, OK, uh, yeah, like, all right, I was. OK, I guess it's OK to judge. That's what he said. But <laughs> he did say that. <laughs> yeah. But he's, you know, he's not going to let at me least completely he's being honest. Man. Well, yeah. the next yeah. thing he said was it's wrong to push your morality yeah, on other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now he thought he'd improved his lot. But I had another question. I said, is that your morality? What you just told me, is that your morality? Mm-hmm. Right. That is. I said, then yeah. why are you? Pushing, it on, pushing it on me right now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And there he is. He's back again, thumping yeah. his head yeah. because he's stuck. Now, of course, in this case, in the third use of Columbo, you have to see the problem. Mm-hmm. If you don't know what you want to communicate using questions, or if you don't see the weakness or a flaw, then you can't use the third use of Columbo. The first two uses, you don't have to know anything but the questions. You draw them out, gather information, reverse the burden of proof. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When it comes to the third use, you have to you have to know the target you want to hit yeah, with your right, questions. Right. And uh, and so this is why it's a little bit more of an advanced tactic, but it's mm-hmm. not that hard to learn. Yep. And like you mentioned earlier, just getting out and practicing a yeah, little bit. Yeah, I mean, really I, that's what I found is, is that people that get into the game and they're, they start to have these conversations with people, yeah. I see the motivation for those people to get deeper equipping to get trained yes, in right. these issues goes through the roof because it, it oh, because man. it goes like, Hey, you know, yeah, it's cool for Greg and Nathan over there to do that, but yeah. that's kind of what those guys do. You know, what about me? And well, yeah. go get into the game and yeah. you'll very quickly be like, wait a second, I need to get equipped. Like, well, I, I know you used to be an infantry officer, you know, in the battlefield, I mean, you are in combat. And so, you know, like these guys, you can teach them all you want in the classroom, mm-hmm. but it's not until they're not dodging bullets yeah, yeah. that all of a sudden that clean things, weapon, things change, clearing. <laughs> yes, exactly right. Clearing a jam, <laughs> yeah, all of that, yeah, all yeah. of a sudden that's life and death for them. Mm-hmm. And they, they learn it quick or they die quick. Yeah. 
That's good. So let's talk about story to change gears a little bit. That's right. Well, let's let's talk From about one story book to the other book. Yeah, right? yeah, okay. yeah. That's right. Let's buy what me. Uh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Greg's like, you just buy both of them. It's great. And I'm I'm actually telling you that because I've read both and they're they are really good. But what is Christianity? I think that's a really good question you raise in your book. And then I think the second part of the question is, why is it so important to understand Christianity as a story, as opposed to what I typically see a lot? And that is people just going, "Okay, Christianity is the gospel. I'm bad. Jesus saves us somehow. And, you know, I want to go to heaven when I die. Um, This kind of reductionistic. Yes. Think of a picture puzzle. Well, let me back up. What is Christianity? My, my, I ask that question because I want get, to get people thinking about mm-hmm. it. And they'll say, well, it's a religion. Mm-hmm. Some might say that. Uh, some might say it's a way of living a, a happy life or whatever, ethical life. Okay. Yep. I think that's in there. Uh, they might say it's not a religion, but it's a relationship. Right, okay. Right. I, I understand. What I hear that a lot. Yeah. yeah. I think it confuses outsiders, but I, I know what they're after. Yep. But I don't think that's enough. I think that's really a very thin characterization of Christianity. I think the right answer to the question, what is Christianity, is that Christianity is a picture of reality. Okay. It is an account or a depiction of the way the world actually is. Look, when you talk to an atheist, they're talking about their view. They think that the world consists of nothing but physical stuff in motion. Mm-hmm. We call it materialism. I, in the book, I call it matterism because matter is the only thing that exists in motion, so to speak, by natural laws. But they are convinced that's reality. Yeah, right. Okay. And for us, when we talk about God, that's the flying spaghetti monster nonsense. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just mm-hmm. some figment of your imagination you made up. But notice they are talking about worldviews as reality. Mm-hmm. Okay. But Christians have, I think, missed that sometimes with your own view. Now, if we're a picture of reality, that picture is kind of like more like a picture puzzle, really, because it's made of pieces that have to be put together properly. If you don't understand how the pieces are fitting together, you're going to have a couple little pieces yeah. like the ones you just mentioned, yeah. which are really important yeah. pieces, yeah, yeah, totally. but they don't kind of hang out there in midair somewhere. Mm-hmm. These are all connected to a narrative that if you get the narrative right, it makes sense of those particular pieces. Now, if you talk about Jesus dying for your sins, and if you believe in Jesus, you go to heaven. If you don't believe in Jesus, you go to hell. This foments massive confusion mm-hmm. in people because they, they don't. What? Yep. Sins? Yep. You're God. You mean I'm going to hell because I don't believe your way? Yeah, yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. How narrow-minded is that? Mm-hmm. So I can understand their pushback because we haven't given them the picture. And by the way, part of their pushback is going to be why is there evil in the world? Mm-hmm. And that's a very legitimate challenge. Yeah. And the second big pushback is going to be why is Jesus the only way? That's kind of that narrow-minded, bigoted kind of thing. That's the way they view it. Yeah. And that's huge pushback. And I, I am completely sympathetic yeah. to that challenge because I can see where they're standing, how it would look to them. Yep. It is my job as a follower of Christ to give them a big enough picture to make sense of those issues yeah. in light of our picture of reality. Right, okay. Right. So these are pieces of our puzzle, but they're connected in a particular way. And when you see how they're all fit together in the bigger picture, you'll realize that the problem of evil is not the kind of problem people think, think it, it is, is for our yep. view. Yeah, totally. And the same thing is true about Jesus mm-hmm. being the only way. Mm-hmm. Because singular problems often have singular solutions. Mm-hmm. You sick? Oh, really? What is it? A tumor. We got to cut that sucker out. Yep. Can I just like take some chocolate milkshakes and knock that <laughs> and no well, sorry 
I know that'd be better than chemotherapy. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. right. But no, singular problems have singular solutions. Mm -hmm. And the problem of evil is a singular problem. And it requires the singular solution of the Son of God becoming man and doing something with his life and his death that ultimately solves the problem. Yep. Wow, I never heard it that way before. Mm -hmm. Well, that's because you don't see the big picture. Yeah. So really what, I, what I'm hearing you saying is a, a lot of us have a few of the puzzle pieces right. that we really hyper-focus on. But without the broader context of really the, the mosaic that is the beauty of Christianity, which right. according to the history of Christianity yeah. is not some just belief system that we've thrown together, but right. is actually representative of what is actually real. Yes. What, yeah. Like, so you look outside and you're like, oh, that's God's world that he created. Right. And I'm interacting with it as a sentient being that God created right. who is right. interacting with other people. Right. And the, all of the reality that we, that we normally chalk up to just, you know, atoms and molecules and yeah. stuff like that, that is a piece of this story. Yeah. And, and what I'm hearing you push is we got to understand the story. Yes. We understand the story for the coherence of yeah. the explanation. It gives that context we need to, give to everything. But yeah. it, it, it's better than that mm -hmm. because as my daughter, my 12 year old, when she was about, about seven or eight, and she was a baptized Christian already, but she asked me, Papa, how do we know God is true? Mm -hmm. That was her way of asking, how do we know God is real or whatever? And yeah. I, and I, and I thought about it for a moment, and then this line came out, which I've used a lot since then, but it really captures my own approach to it. And I said, honey, the reason we believe God is true, is because he's the best explanation for the way things are. Mm -hmm. He's the best explanation for the way things are. Now, this is meant to show that you, if you understand the coherence of our story, how it all fits together, it actually turns out to fit reality mm -hmm. really nicely, too. Mm -hmm. For example, the problem of evil. You know, atheists complain about the problem of evil all the time. But only Christianity can make sense of it. Yeah, right. And a materialistic a, worldview can't. Yeah, it's a bigger it, problem for the atheist. It's a bigger problem yeah. for an atheist. Yeah. Exactly right. Now a lot of people maybe did. What does that? How does that work? Well, I don't have time mm -hmm. to get into it yeah. right now. But my point is, is that Christianity, properly understood, can properly address all of the big issues mm -hmm. that we know are out there in the world, even without the Bible. Mm -hmm. We know human beings are special. That's why we can cast termites, but not Jews. Yeah. Okay. We know there's a big problem in the world. We know there's a big problem with us. We know that the world is not the way it's supposed to be, mm -hmm. but there can't be a way it's not supposed to be unless there's a way it's, it's supposed, supposed to be. To be. Yeah. And there can't be a way it's supposed to be without a sposer. Yeah. Yeah. So and the internal where God comes in the picture. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So the internal kind of angst that everybody has about because that's pretty universal, is it? This is not the way that it's supposed yeah. to be. I well, mean, everybody I'm not the way I'm supposed yeah, to totally, be. Yeah, totally, totally. But again, for someone who's trying to explain the world without God, there's an internal angst, but there's nothing to connect it that's right. to. So it that's becomes, true. it's an existential crisis. crisis. That's yes. exactly what it is. Exactly right. No, yeah. that's perfectly put. You try to find a reference point for one's life, because mm -hmm. we know that we are not an adequate reference point mm -hmm. for meaning in our lives. I was in Singapore once holding over from an airplane trip and I was talking to a guy, I met him in a, you know, in a park, I'm chatting with him. He was on his way to India to go to an ashram or something like that. And we got this long conversation. It was a long time ago that this happened, but I remember some, one thing he said, and, and, and I was, we were talking about this issue, issue of the reference point and everything. And then as he was thinking about it, the reference point, he said, well, it could start with me. And he's thinking about it, right? I'm just listening. And then he said, is what he said, no, not big enough. Hmm. 
No, not yeah. big enough. Yeah. Wow, what an insight! Yeah, you know? and I, I think that we all have this sense and that we are not. Yeah, well, I, he didn't <laughs> yeah. need any help from me. He yeah. got it. Yeah, you know, yeah, we're no, not big you. enough. Yeah. You know, we need a, a, an eternal reference point to fit ourselves in, or else we're just floating around. Yeah. And that's the existential crisis. If there is no God, if it's just molecules clashing in the universe, uh, molecules in motion. Well, then what am I? I'm mm-hmm. just molecules mm-hmm. in motion. What purpose is there for my life? There's no purpose, no grand purpose. It's whatever I want to make it. But I talk about this in the story of reality. If it's whatever I want to make it, then no purpose is any better than any others. So Mother Teresa, she had her purpose, and so did Hitler. And what's the difference? You can't make any moral judgment. You cannot distinguish between them. They're just different. And the sex slave traders, well, they got a different purpose. Mm -hmm. Okay, Mm -hmm. You may not like it, but you can't say it's any worse because you have no standard to measure these things by. But doesn't everybody know that some purposes that people pursue are noble and some are ignoble? Yeah. What, what could be more obvious? Yeah, right. Our worldview makes sense of that. It's the best explanation yeah. for the way things are. The materialistic worldview can't get yeah, any traction on that at all. Yeah, drastically, massively yeah. insufficient. So let's go through these quickly. In talking about Christianity as story, there's a plot line. There is. Right. So and, and the plot line begins with God. So right. of the beginning of the story. We start at the beginning. In the beginning. God. God. There you go. You know, <laughs> now in, in, in the beginning of any story always is meant to tell you who the main characters are and tell you the kind of world you're in. So if you pick up a book and you read the first line and it said in a hole. In the ground lived a hobbit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You, you know you're not. Okay. There you go. <laughs> like, my all the Lord of the Rings people are so, like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see now you know you're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> yeah, so, right. um, so but notice how it sets the stage. And that first line, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, is pregnant with all kinds of implications. Oh, yeah. Uh, for what it tells you who the story is about, it's mm-hmm. about God. By contrast, it's not about man. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. and a lot of Christians get this mixed up, and a lot of people do. They they think the story is about them, mm-hmm. and pretty soon the tail starts wagging the dog. Right, right. Okay, and if I could say this respectfully, strictly speaking, it's not about God's wonderful plan for our lives right. as much as it is our lives for God's wonderful plan. It's good. Yeah. So we we play a part, and we have an important role, but it is it, it is surrendered. Yep. To or ought to be to the larger perspective of God's yeah, purposes. Like, um, yes, yeah, like, like I'm thinking of First Corinthians three, where where Paul talks about how we are we're co-laborers mm-hmm. with Him and what yeah. He's doing. That's and right. so I, I I don't think that it's in a sense where that minimizes the importance of man. If right. if, if anything, it it elevates right. our importance because where God is. Saying, hey, I've I'm. Stories about me. I've created this. I've yeah. created the story. I've placed you in it for a purpose, mm-hmm. and I'm asking you to co-labor with me. Yeah, it's like you know, back to the military illustration because I know it's something you've operated in, and I have, and, and I and a lot of people understand this. So you've got a group of men you're going in and put into a tough situation, and there's one thing you think about starts with an M. The mission. Mm-hmm. You got a mission. Mm-hmm. That's the most important thing. And the human beings are important players in accomplishing that mission, mm-hmm. but they are expendable, much more obviously in a military situation, but that's the same point for us. They're expendable to the greater importance of the mission. Yep. And that's true for us. That's the point I'm making when I say it's not, it's our lives for his wonderful plan. Yep. That's the mission. And ironically, the word mission does have religious connotations because that's the way it's classically understood. We're going on a mission. We are surrendering ourselves to something greater 
that yeah, something's uh, happening. God's, God's doing something. And once, like uh, Timothy says, it's not to, God doesn't desire for anyone to perish apart from him. It's not like we're not expendable in the sense of like, oh, I'm not worried about you. Right. I think we're expendable in the sense where God says, hey, this is not about you. Correct. Um, and so labor with me, mm-hmm. but also I'm going to use you as a broken vessel that I'm redeeming for my ultimate purpose of. But just uh, like a soldier, you know, you know, sometimes our lives are on the yeah, line. Totally. And uh, Paul said in Philippians chapter three, I think he says, if I'm being poured out mm-hmm. as a drink mm-hmm. offering, he knew the language. He said, if I'm being sacrificed, if I'd have to die on behalf of your faith. In a service to your faith, he yep. said, I rejoice. So be it. In fact, yep. that's that's what happened to Paul yeah, totally. years later, you know, on yeah. the Appian Way where he was beheaded. So sometimes it does come to paying that ultimate cost. But yep. uh, Jesus makes it clear that we're to die daily, you know, yep. put our hands to the plow, don't look yep. back. Yep. And so Which is a reorientation of- away from us. Back toward God. That's right. Is is that is that that's Sylvia? Yeah. On the else? subject of God, um, this is a question. I think it's pretty common that we probably get out when we're talking to friends or whoever, and says, "What do you say to someone who says we all worship the same God, Muslims, Jews, Mormons, etc.?" Outside of believing that God is a triune God, in relation to the Jews, don't Christians also worship the same God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? My impulse is always to go to my game plan. So I'm going to, I mean, that seems like a fairly straightforward question, question, but I'm still going to ask, well, I'm not sure. What do you mean that we all worship the same God? Mm-hmm. And then they might say something like, well, aren't all gods the same? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, as a matter of fact, no. Yeah. So why would you so think? What makes you think they're all the same? What makes you think they're all the same? Yeah. You notice how now, that, that just like that, the tables have turned mm-hmm. a little bit. The mm-hmm. Christian starts out in the defensive position. Not that the other person is attacking this. Yeah, so totally, it's a fair totally. question. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. notice how, and, and keep in mind, I am not trying to be clever or cute or anything like that. Mm. I am trying to maneuver tactically in a sound way in conversation with this person, make headway on the challenge. Mm. Because I know, have an idea of how to answer this, but it's easier for me if we have some interactive play to get to that yeah, particular yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. So what, so I'm going to say, what do you mean? And then, and why would you think that we all worship the same God? Well, there's only one God, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Just, and so therefore we're all speaking the to the same, aren't we? Then when we worship God, aren't we all worshiping the same? My wife has only one husband, me, but that doesn't mean every other wife is married to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would be one of It's kind of an awkward like illustration, yeah. but there's lots of other things you could, you can maybe think of some other things. There's only one president of the United States, mm-hmm. right? And he's Joe Blow. No, he's not Joe Blow. He's President Trump. Well, there's only one president, right? Yeah. And we all have the same president, right? Yeah. So whoever we say is president is the president. Well, that's, I mean, that's crazy. <laughs> Notice how I was advancing all of these points with questions. Does that make sense, though, the way yeah. I pursued that? I mean, the point is just yeah. because we there's one God and we say we worship God doesn't mean we're all worshiping the same God. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. If it turns out that those gods that people are worshiping have different characteristics about them, then they can't be the same. Yeah. And that's what I was pushing at. So the slide you're seeing on your computer is that second question. Why, why can't this be a matter of preference? I think a lot of times when people ask this question, they're thinking of this general God that's like the top tier God. And then various expressions of God, the Muslim God, the Jewish God, the gods of the Hindu religion, the God of Christianity, the God of the Mormons, like are all kind of like subcategories of God. And somehow they all get there. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and I think that 
in exposing this, the have you ever considered is more along lines of have you ever considered how different those gods are yes. from one another? Right. And then the person might be like, well, no, I guess we all believe the same. And that's that's where I think you can guide the conversation to be like, actually, these gods, when examined, even in a very general surface level sense, these gods are so different from one another. Yeah. They cannot all be the same. It's yeah, that's just a right. logical contradiction. Yeah, even the way you constructed a, the way people want to characterize mm. this so it all mm. works. You yeah. know, there's this one god up there. Stop. Now you have just left out Buddhists. Totally. Okay. Yeah, right. And I mean, because Buddhists, there is no god yeah, in Buddhism. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. that, that plays no role. What, you left out animists. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Huge portion of the world is animistic, yeah. spiritistic. Okay. Yeah. You left them out. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, oh, a personal god? Mm hmm. Oh, you just love all of the Hindus. Yep. Okay. Right. Because it isn't like you can just, just say, well, there's that. There are lots of differences, even with this characterization. Mm -hmm. And saying that there are all these other paths, this is one way of characterizing it that might follow a certain religious framework, but it's not going to work for other religions. There is wild diversity. It turns out that God is not even an essential part of religion because there are bona fide religions that yeah. for whom God plays no, no part. role. Yeah. And, 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 yeah. and classical Buddhism would be an example right, of that. Right. And, and so um, the point we're making is there's such wild diversity, they can't be all right. right. Now, I had a guy in an airplane once that said to me, you must be one of those people who think that 90% of the people in the world are wrong about religion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And my response was essentially, well, yeah, I do believe that, but it's not because the word bigotry came up in the conversation. Mm -hmm. I said, but it's not bigotry. It's just mm -hmm. plain math. When you look at the different religious views, they are exclusive of each other. Mm -hmm. Either God is personal or he's not personal. Yep. If he's not personal, then the Jews and Muslims and Christians are wrong and the Hindus are right. If he is personal, then the Jews and Christians and Muslims are right on that point and the Hindus are wrong, but mm -hmm. they can't both be right. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. When you die, maybe you go to heaven or hell, maybe you get reincarnated, maybe you lie in the grave, but you can't do them all yep. at, at the, the same, same time. time. Yeah. So so <laughs> here we're talking about really substantial matters, mm -hmm. not just how many angels can dance on the right, head of a pin. Right. I, I, was, I spoke at UC Irvine, University of California, Irvine, mm -hmm. a number of years ago, and I had a young lady come up to me and she said, um, aren't all religions basically the same? And so I turned around on the board and I put two dots, you know, with a, with a marker. And I said, are these dots circles basically the same? And she said, yeah, they are. And then I drew a line from one and I wrote the word aspirin and a line from the other one and I wrote the word arsenic. <laughs> I said, now do you think they're basically the same? And she said, no, I guess not. See, it's the, it's the differences that matter, mm -hmm. not the similarities. Yeah, that's good. Okay, well, pushing the plot of the story forward. So you start with God. It's about God. It's about right. what God is doing right. in the world. But then he has created. I mean, he's created right. man. And what's unique about this is that in some ways, man is, we are part of the creation. I right. mean, in, in really in every way, we're part of the creation. God created, you know, six days. He creates the sun, the moon, the stars, the, the earth, the, the waters, the fish, sure, the, the animals, everything. So we're like the rest of creation, but at the same time, we're not like it. Right. In the sense that God said, now let us make man in our own image. Exactly. We bear the image of God. That's right. So talk, talk to us just briefly just about sure. what... So why we, is that significant? We are creaturely, in some senses, yep. we are finite, we are contingent, we 
we came into existence, we can die, you know, mm-hmm. all of that. So there's a uh, there's a certain kinship that we share with the rest of uh, creation. We're material. In that regard. We're material. Yeah, yeah. We're made of material yeah, stuff, yeah. obviously. Yeah, right. But we're also made of some immaterial stuff, that's and right. I think that's all also obvious. Yeah, yeah. Um, though a lot of people have denied it nowadays, I think it's just obvious that there's an immaterial self called the soul. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not just the soul itself that makes human unique, because the story teaches that all sentient creatures, conscious creatures have mm-hmm. souls that's mm-hmm. the center of the consciousness fluffy has a soul fido yeah, has a soul yeah, yeah, you know yeah, yeah. but they're not like <laughs> our souls they're different and this is yeah. what you pointed out nathan is that our souls bear the imprint of god himself yeah, right. okay so we are not gods but we are like god yeah, yeah. in a way that makes us completely different now people know this parents regardless of their religious convictions tell their kids don't treat other people like animals mm-hmm. yeah, yeah right. right because we're not just animals yeah. if we were just animals it would be okay to treat mm-hmm. each other like animals mm-hmm. we also know that it's uh maybe i said this earlier it's it, it's okay to gas termites but you can't gas jews yeah. why there's a difference yeah and the difference matters, but the difference isn't something that's physical. It's something that's non-physical. So notice how we, we this is part of the story. It's right there in the beginning. God, man. But there is something there that resonates with a deep knowledge we have about the world. Human beings being special in mm-hmm. some way. Mm-hmm. Now, we all know this. We don't know how to make sense of that. Our story tells you that. Well, that's because we're like God in some way. Right. And this is what grounds our moral obligations towards each other. It's the thing that makes sense of human rights. Humans have rights that other creatures don't have. Mm -hmm. Now, some people are confused about this, but generally speaking, most of us get it because we're special, because we're made different. Now, what is the difference? Mm -hmm. Well, it's not something physical. It's something non-physical. And so now we've got a a essential part of this picture. And part of the fact that we're made in the image of God, the significance of that is that it gives us, it makes us the kinds of creatures that God can have a friendship with, okay? Mm-hmm. You can have a friendship with Fido and Fluffy, mm-hmm. kind of. Mm-hmm. Not so much with Fluffy. That's the cat, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but we got cats in our house, you know. With the, oh, the girls are, have the cats, you know. But everybody knows that having a relationship with a human being is very, very different. Mm-hmm. And so we are like God in a way that allows us to have a friendship with him. And this is what God made us for, to mm-hmm. be in friendship with him. Mm-hmm. Some people call it a relationship yeah, with right, God. Right, okay. Right. But see, then something goes wrong. Mm-hmm. Okay. We could be in friendship with him or we could betray the friendship. Yeah, it, yeah. That's the nature of the kind of relationship we have. Now, that's called moral freedom. We have the liberty to be good. We have the liberty to be bad. And what happened is man betrayed the friendship. And Did, that created the problem. That the story. created the yeah, problem. Yeah. You see, this is what's very important for people to see. Here's how our story explains the problem. It started out just so. Everything God made was good. It was all working just the way God wanted. And then man rebelled. Yeah, and when yeah, man yeah. rebelled, he broke the world. Right. Is the way I like to put it. Yep. He broke everything. It's the way Romans 8 likes to put it, too. Right. Yeah, there you go. There's, <laughs> that's right. We've got about five minutes left. So let's, Wow, that let's, went fast. I know, right? But let's let's move quickly through the rest of these plot lines so okay. we can tie this together with a nice little bow. But So we have something's gone wrong. God's given us the freedom to choose. Yes. Because in order for there to be love, that requires choice. For there that's, to be good. That's, it, it, that's it, one way to characterize it. There's yeah. a couple of ways to work this out. But the important yeah. thing is that we have moral freedom. Freedom is what caused the problem. Right, right. Why we have it, you know, we yeah, talk about yeah, that. Right, totally. But but the moral freedom caused the problem, mm-hmm. okay? And so now what? Mm-hmm. A man's in a heap of trouble and uh he's broken, he's enslaved now, uh, and he's he's guilty, and the king's mad. Now what? I'll tell you what happens. In our story, man does not rescue himself. God rescues man. 
and he does something very unique. He becomes a man himself yep, yep. in the person of Jesus of Nazareth to make a trade. So you got God, you got man, now you got Jesus. Mm -hmm. And Jesus came to do something with the way he lived his life and the way he died mm -hmm. on a cross that determines what happens to everyone in the final resurrection. Yeah. And by the way, there's your outline. There's yeah, your God, right, yeah. man, Jesus, cross, cross yeah. and resurrection. Yeah. And the thing that he did on the cross yeah. was he made a trade. I was talking to a young lady in a, in a, uh, on an airplane. She was Muslim. And I was trying to explain the difference between the God of Islam and the God of Christianity. And I said, what if somebody were to come down and hijack this plane and take you and want to, well, want to drag you out on the tarmac and slit your throat in front of the TV cameras? And I put my arms protectively in front of you. And I told those terrorists, don't take her. Take me instead. I said, what would you think about that? Mm -hmm. And she said, I cannot imagine anybody doing that mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. And I said, that is exactly what God did for you. Yeah. Not Allah, Yahweh. And by the way, mm -hmm. this is the difference. Yeah, Some yeah. of the differences. Yeah. Okay. Major, not Allah, Yahweh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> not Muhammad, Jesus. Yeah. Jesus said, don't take her take me instead. Mm -hmm. And so instead of us being punished for the crimes mm -hmm. we have committed in our own rebellion against God, Jesus took the punishment on himself yeah. on the cross. And I do some description of what happens at a crucifixion in the story and, and then how this trade actually takes place. Mm -hmm. Theologians call it justification or substitutionary atonement, yep. but I just call it the trade. You have something at the cross that's really totally unique because you have at the cross 100% in no way watered down the justice of God. Absolutely. And also simultaneously 100% in no way watered down the mercy of God. Yes, absolutely. And that's that is the love of God that's poured yeah. out yeah. for for us. And yes. that and that, that's God's rescue operation. That is. So so that he could be 100% just in judging evil, right. but to do so without wiping out his creation. Yeah, right? that's right. Um, and so he can offer mercy. And yeah. this is what shows up at the final resurrection, because yeah. that's a gift. And, and if you don't receive the gift, you stand alone. Mm -hmm. And the two things that happen is either perfect justice or perfect mercy at the end. Yeah. And perfect justice is punishment for everything you've ever done wrong and God misses nothing. Mm -hmm. Or perfect mercy, and this is this is the better option. Mm, yeah, <laughs> Trust me on yeah. this one, which is forgiveness for everything you've ever done wrong. And God misses nothing. Yeah, I love it. Greg, this has been a lot of fun, man. Yeah, <laughs> man. We need another hour. Yeah, we got, we got to, we got to go part two, yeah, man. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll reach back out and get you on the calendar okay, again. Sounds that, great. That'd be a lot of fun, but Hey, thanks for uh, tuning in with us today. We appreciate y'all's questions. I know that that was a whirlwind. I would encourage you to get on Amazon or wherever you can get it and grab the book, The Story of Reality. He goes into obviously a lot more detail than what we talked about today, but that gives you a good sense for what that is. So I will say this is Sylvia's last time to be with us. Yes. So she is about to change jobs to be a full-time mom. Yes, my belly is getting too Bravo. big. I can't get to the speaker <laughs> close enough. So. But kidding. Sylvia, I just wanted to say publicly, uh, thank you for the way you've served us for the last year and a half, and we're going to miss you a lot uh, on this. So I'll be tuning she's in. Blushing. I oh, am blushing. Yeah. The Irish oh, yeah, skin. Blushing. I always turn red. <laughs> I'm really grateful. But as you leave, you'll be asked to take a survey. Please give us some feedback. Constructive is always helpful. You guys have a great weekend and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Equipping Webinar, connecting discipleship, theology, and apologetics to everyday life.